dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Being afraid is a normal response in front of things that are threatening to us. The problem is not that we have fear. The question is whether or not we'll allow that fear to become a catalyst for something greater, for courage, or whether we'll allow fear to paralyze us. When Christ formed his apostles, he taught them to stare down their fears. And he did this by facing everything before them. Christ led his leaders through the valleys that they would have to face themselves. And he does so for us today as well. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm glad to have a chance to continue to meditate with you. I hope you're enjoying this series. I, I, I know I am. I'm, I'm looking you know, intently at the gospel and trying to meditate on how Jesus formed his apostles to be the incredible saints, the incredible proclaimers of the word that they actually are and were. I mean, when you look at the lives of what these men did, they went where there was nothing and they left behind the church of God. I mean, when I mean there was nothing, it means there was no church of God. And then they left behind them the church of God. They, they boldly proclaimed a truth that the world had been waiting for, but that the world did not know. So you think about creativity, you think about innovation, you think about facing persecution, and all of that is there in their lives. And, and, and their, their words was, was met with welcome, and then their word was met with opposition, and even to the point of death. And every single one of them died the death of a martyr. You could say, well, St. John didn't. Well, that's true. St. John didn't die a bloody death, but his life was threatened. I mean, according to legend, even St. John, the beloved, who according to, you know, to history died of old age, was thrown at one point into boiling oil. You know, and he came out unscathed. And then he was exiled to the island of Patmos, which is in the Mediterranean Ocean off the coast of Turkey today. And he's, and he's left there. Now, the thing about the island of Patmos, there's no water. All the water has to be collected by rain. So imagine being exiled to a deserted island where there's no water in the middle of the salt water of the, of the Mediterranean. This is not a pleasant experience. So I'm going to count that as a martyrdom, okay? <laughs> Maybe you're like, technically it wasn't, but he stared down death. Right? And all the apostles stared down death. And, and St. Peter, for example, famously was crucified upside down. They were crucifying him. And then he said, I'm not worthy to die in the same way as my Savior died for me. Flip me upside down. That to me is even more horrific because, I mean, I don't, I'm someone who doesn't like to hang upside down. Personally, I don't, all the blood going to your head, you can't breathe, all of that. And Peter went and, and increased his suffering because he was not worthy to die in the way that our Lord died for him. So it's beautiful, but incredibly fearless at the same time. I think of an amazing example of that is when you, when you look at the Acts of the Apostles, for example, Acts that begins with Pentecost and Acts chapter 2, and then in, in Acts chapter 3, they begin to proclaim the word, and then in Acts chapter 4, they're hauled in front of the Pharisees and the high priests 
who were the same people who ended up condemning our Lord to his death. And so what's amazing about this, if you remember in the history, our Lord gets condemned to death by these, the, this governing assembly of Israel. And that same governing assembly is, makes the apostles so afraid that the apostles are locked in the upper room. They hide because of fear of what these guys could do to them. I mean, St. Peter was so afraid of the high priest and so afraid of this governing assembly that when the servant girl accused Peter of being one of Jesus' disciples the night of the Passion, St. Peter denied Jesus three times, said, I, don't even, I do not even know the man. He, he literally denied that he even knew him. And then, of course, the cock crows, Jesus looks at him, Peter begins to weep. We all know the story. And yet that was all because St. Peter was so afraid of these people. Well, in Acts chapter 4, when Peter gets hauled in front of them, St. Peter speaks boldly about Jesus to the point of trying to save the high priest himself, saying there is no other name by which men can be saved than the name of Jesus. <laughs> and he says, this Jesus whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead you know, has become the cornerstone, you know, upon which the church is being built. Like he, he proclaims salvation to the high priest. As Peter's now fearless. He's staring down his fears. I mean, St. Paul is completely fearless. I mean, the guy goes through like five different riots in the book of the Acts of the Apostles. So at least five times he's had crowds of people beating him, yelling at him. At one point, they have to send over the guards to rescue Paul from the crowd in Jerusalem because they're literally going to tear him apart. And the Roman soldiers come in to rescue him, you know. And I mean, he goes through so many things. He's been stoned to death by a crowd of, of people that were against him. He had to go in their magicians working evil spells against him. And he faces all of that and he stares it down. It, there's this courage in the heart of the apostles that I, I want to, and I say, where did that come from? Why could they be so courageous? And why is it that in our own lives, it's so hard for us to, to, to face our fears? I mean, we're, we're afraid of losing our job as if that's the worst thing that could happen to us. And we were afraid of people's opinion, people thinking that we're Christian, you know? It's like, sometimes I'll talk to people, I'll say, you should make the sign of the cross and say blessings before you eat a meal in a restaurant. And, and people say, oh, well, you know, I don't know what people will think of me, you know? And I like to respond, maybe they'll think that you're a Catholic, you know? Like, it's okay to be Catholic. It's okay to be Christian. Why are you so afraid of that? We're afraid of what our kids will get picked on in school. We're afraid of all kinds of things. And yet you look at the apostles and they weren't afraid. What's the difference? Well, the apostles were taught by Christ to stare down their fears. I'm sure that they were still afraid of things. You have the famous example in Galatians where St. Peter, you know, fails to be bold enough with the Jews around him to say that the Gentiles don't have to follow the Jewish law, you know, and, and Paul corrects him, you know, and then you, you've got the fear that, you know, St. Paul and Barnabas, when they split in Acts 15 because of, of John Mark and whether or not he should go with them. And, you know, there are things that are out there in, in, in that show that there's still things, no one's perfect in this world. But there's a boldness that comes from listening and following to Christ's instruction. And I want to look at that because even though we might, you know, never be able to be perfect in this life, it's still good for us to be inspired to say, where can I be bolder? Where is my spouse hoping that I'll be able to give a bolder leadership? Where will my kids benefit 
if dad or mom becomes a bolder leader? Where, where in my workplace can I do more to glorify God? Well, to do that, we need to discover the key to the boldness. And I've been going through in this series all kinds of those, those keys, you know, from truth to being able to make mistakes, you know, to, to Jesus showing us the value of work, all these different things. And this one I want to focus in on, you looking at the fact that every fear that we're facing has already been faced by Christ and he has already overcome all of the evil that w- with which we are threatened. He goes before us. He walks through the dark valley with us as our shepherd. We are not alone. He faces the fear and teaches us to follow his footsteps through the threat that is in front of us. And that's what gives us courage. It's like that psalm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of darkness, I fear no evil, for thou art with me, with thy rod and thy staff, which give me comfort. And this presence of Jesus, he gave to his apostles first. And when they realized it, they became the bold leaders that they were. Are you a young adult between the ages of 23 and 35 and wondering what God is calling you to do next? Do you have a desire or vision that you just can't seem to complete? Then come to the Rise Above Retreat, March 19th through March 25th at the St. John Institute in Denver, Colorado. For more information, visit www.daregreatthings.org slash riseabove. To speak boldly of Christ, to speak boldly of God, this is the, the secret of the apostles. Where did they get the strength to do it? I mean, if you speak boldly, you risk being made fun of, you risk being rejected, you risk being, pers- you risk a lot of things. And the natural response for a person in front of risk is that we have fear. Fear is a natural and a good and a sane response to something that's risky. It's true that I'm aware that there's a danger, a threat, something that could come at me, that could overwhelm me, that could take away the good that I'm enjoying and make me suffer from it, right? And so we fear something that is an evil. And that's, I think, very good. The question for me is not whether or not you have fear. If you have fear, it means that you're sane, right? The question is not whether or not you're sane and have fear. The question is what you're going to do after you feel the fear. Are you going to allow yourself to allow that fear to dictate your next steps? Sometimes, sanely, yes. You're like, this is not, I'm glad I have that fear. I'm going to avoid that problem, right? And so, and and that's a good thing. It's okay to obey a fear when the fear is outlining the course that you need to run. Don't go too far, you'll fall off to the right. Don't go too far left, you'll fall off to the left. That's good. So keep running that course. But when your course takes you directly in front of fear, and you see on the other side of fear, the goal that you have to attain, that's when Christ comes in. Because the question is, well, if I'm running on a straight road and in the middle of the road is a big monster, and I know I got to get to the city on the other side of that monster, I'm either going to stop and I'm going to say, because of my fear, I'm not going to take that. I'm not going to tackle that. Or I'm going to push through and and attain through on the other side of that monster, the city that I'm trying to attain. Right? And so the question is, what are you going to do when there's a big fear blocking your path? 
This is where Christ's secret comes in and the secret of Christian leadership comes in. And it's the simple truth. Our Lord, in his passion, went through every form of suffering that he would ask his apostles to endure. And he sanctified it and filled it with his sacred presence. It's, uh, it's an incredible truth, and it's so powerful. And it comes right from St. Thomas Aquinas, of course, and it's meditating on Scripture. And Aquinas will go forth and list all of these different things. Like, for example, in, the, in our Lord's Passion, he went through physical suffering. So some of us are terrified of getting a disease or a malady or losing our momentum, losing our movement. Well, our Lord is hanging immobilized on the cross. Right? And he's hanging on the cross with a body that no longer is able to respond to him. And he allows, as he allows himself to experience all of the woes of, of, of physical malady. He loses his friends. His own friends betray him unto death. And they betray him unto death with a kiss. And then they all flee him, even though they're supposed to be his, his trusted companions. They're not. They even deny that they even know him. He goes through financial hardship. He says, for example, that the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he spends his time traveling around, you know, in people's houses or sleeping out in nature. He's rejected by cities that won't have him be there. His life is threatened by people who are trying to trip him up to make him fall in, in failure. He's being persecuted by his enemies. I mean, they bring an entire group of a uh, cohort from the temple with uh, swords and spears and clubs and torches in order to arrest him in the garden. I mean, he, he's bullied, he's beaten, he, he suffers deprivation from food and from water. He's in isolation and in solitude, every form of suffering. And so Aquinas says, yes, he doesn't, he doesn't suffer everything specifically, but every general form of suffering he endures. And this, why would he go through all of that? We could say, why wouldn't would God just allow him to die simply? Why did he have to carry a cross that would take a long time? You know, and the weight of the cross on his shoulder. Why would he have to fall three times while he's carrying the cross? Um, why would Jesus have, have had people that he healed turn around and actually work against him? Like the time when he tells the man, do not tell anybody that I healed you. And the guy goes out and tells everybody. Even though Jesus says specifically not to do it. The guy goes and tells everybody. And because of this, Jesus could no longer enter into towns openly. Why would he go through that? Why wouldn't he just make it that no matter what he does in his life, everything goes simply? And I think it's very, for a very simple reason. He knows that his apostles will have a hard time in the world. And he wants them to not be afraid. There's a line he says in John 16, which is something we should all keep at the bottom of our hearts. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take courage. I have overcome the world. That light is such a profound solace for us. Jesus, on the one hand, tells us you're going to suffer and it's going to be hard in this world. And then the, at the same time, he says, take courage because I have overcome it, meaning that I am in your trials. And in me, in your trials, you have a strength to overcome everything that they will throw at you. Everything that life will do to break you down, I have already endured for you. This is what makes the apostles bold. 
is that they realize there's nothing that's going to happen to them that has not been endured already by Christ. And if they hide in Christ, have intimacy with Christ, yield to Christ, they have the secret to endure and overcome all of the things that they're, of which they're naturally afraid. So, I mean, then the question then becomes for us, well, what are you afraid of? You know, if I knew what you were afraid of, I would have a key to controlling you. That's what a lot of criminal uh, minds will say. They, they study the, the minds of manipulators or they study the, the minds of criminals and they, they show that the path of a criminal is through fear. If the criminal knows what you're afraid of, then by presenting that of what you're afraid, they can predetermine your action, right? So the only person that can't be controlled is a person who's not afraid. Now, again, like I'm not saying that you don't feel fear. You're going to feel fear every time. It's what you're going to do with that fear that you feel. That's the real question. And the real question is, are you going to stand and stare it down and fight it? Or are you going to obey it and flee? Well, the one hand, then you're controlled by your fear, right? And anyone who controls your fear will control you. And on the other hand, if you stand in Christ, well, then even if the fear comes your way, you stand with the courage that Christ gives you and you can then determine the outcome according to God's will. God will be able to work his wonders through a courageous follower. Is courage easy? No. Where does courage come from? It comes from love. And, and this is the beautiful lesson of Christ. Take courage, he says. I have overcome the world. Well, how do I take courage in that truth? Except by yielding to the fact that he loves me is with me and that he wants me to be with him and if i can respond from the depths of my heart to the depths of his from his i love you to me saying back to him and i love you back in that we find the strength to overcome everything that comes our way and that's the secret for a christian leader would you like to start your thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. So it's not easy for us to admit and to look at our life and to admit the places that we're afraid of. All of us have fears, right? And our fears, if we're not careful, will have us. Right? And if when fear has you, well, you, your, your actions are predictable because you're controlled to run away from whatever it is that's threatening you. And of course, some of that is very good. Sometimes you have to listen to, to your fears and you have to obey them. It's like not a problem. That's actually sanity. Right? But when love pushes you into a situation of risk, it's by love that you overcome the threat that's in front of you. And this is where I want to say your religion becomes real. Uh, the temptation that we have today is really to look at religion almost like a myth, a fairy tale, something that's nice that we listen to on the outside and that's there, but that doesn't really penetrate into our veins, into who we are. We're able to kind of like build an identity outside of Jesus. 
And that, my friends, is very dangerous. Dangerous because it's vacuous. Your leadership will be as powerful and your impact will be as powerful in the world as the one who is at its foundation. So if your foundation of your leadership is a worldly measure, you're not going to be able to really impact the world. You're going to be following the world. You'll be a cog in the machine of the world's own logic. And, and most leaders, most Christian leaders are that way today. We're running around letting the parameters be defined for us by the people of the world who don't know God. Well, that's, I mean, that's fine. I mean, you know, it's not all evil and everything, but we could do a lot better because then who is it that's going to correct the world? Who is it going to, that's going to take our society and say, this is the true vision and this is a false vision. Every once in a while, people will tell me, Father, there's no such thing as truth. You know, there is no truth in the world. Everything is relative. And it's just so easy to defeat that logic because all you have to do is say to the person, well, is it true that there's no truth? Let me just be sure. Is it absolutely true that there's no absolute truth? <laughs> because it's a contradiction, right? Like if the person says yes, well, then you're like, well, then there's an absolute truth. The absolute truth is that there's no absolute truth, which is a contradiction. You can't go that way, right? And, but even more dangerous, if there's no truth, well, then there's no evil. And if there's no evil, then there's no boundaries. And, and that's the world that we're playing in today. We're playing in a world without any moral compass because it's made itself a, its own reference point. The world is not supposed to be its own reference point. The world is supposed to be pointed towards God. And the Christian leader is the one who, knowing God, stands in front of God's world and points the world into God's direction. Points, this is the way to go. And therefore, this is not the way to go. There is a right and there is a wrong because there is a standard. And we know that standard. See, but deep down inside, that requires from us a holy boldness. And it's not an absolute thing. I'm not saying to go out and do this all the time or to become some sort of zealot. No, no, no. But I am saying to lead your businesses as if they had a purpose that was higher than the business itself, right? And to lead your team as if you were leading human beings who had immortal souls, to look at your world from the point of view that God has for this world. And then that'll allow us, allow you to do great things with it. But that will force you also to confront situations that of risk and of fear. And, and how, how am I going to do that? I'm going to do it like the apostles did it. How did the apostles do it? They did it with Christ. My faith becoming real allows me to bring freedom into this world. This is such a powerful message, you guys. If you really want to make an impact in your business world, if you really want to make an impact in this world for the good, helping people, right? Lifting people up, being a source of consolation. Well, then yield to Christ. Because he's the principle of our, of our moral compass, the principle of our character that's bigger and outside of the framework of a secular world. And in the light of that principle, we can guide the secular world into greatness. And we can be the visionaries and the healers and the, the people who do great things in our world. I'm not saying to leave it, but I'm also saying to lead it. You don't have to leave the world, but you do have to lead it. And therefore, you have to have courage. All right, so when, when, what does that mean? That means in my spirituality, getting to know the Lord from the inside 
means I can start to know him at exactly those places where I'm afraid. <laughs> and, and so I think, t- take those fears that I had you think about at the beginning of this talk and where you reflect, okay, what is it that I'm really afraid of? What will, could happen in my life that is something I just want to absolutely avoid? And make that the very meeting point of Christ. Where my fears are shows me where my limit is. And where I see my limit, there I see a Christ opportunity. Lord, to yield to him, to say, even in the midst of that valley of darkness, of which I'm so afraid, I believe that you are present. And if I love you and have you in my heart, then I'm willing to even face that valley of darkness, if it be your will, for you will be with me with your rod and your staff to give me comfort. That our Lord is never outdone or overcome by things that happen in this world. In fact, as he told us in John 16, I have overcome the world. Not that the world has overcome me. And the beautiful thing there is that when you look at him on the cross, you see what looks like him being overcome. The waves of the deep enveloping him. You know, and him being lost in the chaos of the cross. It seemed as if darkness had triumphed. The sun was blotted out of the sky, right? And darkness enveloped the whole world. And yet actually what was happening was Jesus was entering into that in order to overcome it. And in the glory of the resurrection, we see the power of God revealed. And that power of God is one that is bigger and stronger than every form of evil, even death itself. And that Jesus, having gone through it all, paves a way for his apostles. This is why they could be so bold and courageous. This is why they could lead the world. Because they were following the king who has the whole world in his hands. Well, you and I are the same. Let's take a look then, going backwards, at our family situations, at our work environments, at our social situations. And let's look at them like how God wants us to look at them. As if, in fact, we were his heroes. As if, in fact, we were the ones who were leading those those things in his name. I mean, looking at them boldly from that perspective of courage, we can see everything that can come our way as actually an invitation to be one with Christ. Christ in his suffering. Christ in his physical ailments. Christ in his persecution. Christ in his death. Christ in all things. Because if we are in Christ in all things then the victory is ours. The one who triumphed then will triumph also in us. And we who love him will therefore have the courage to lead the world in his name and to serve him by our own greatness. And that's something that benefits everyone. It glorifies him, it lifts up the world, and it saves our souls. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at communications at stjohninstitute.org. That's communications at stjohninstitute.org. And visit www.stjohninstitute.org and sign up for our newsletter to receive updates from Father Nathan.